Before I begin this episode, I would like to acknowledge that it was recorded on the lands of the Bundjalung people of the Arakwal Nation and that they have been telling stories on this land for thousands of years, as well as performing music and speaking poetry. And I would like to acknowledge their elders, past, present and emerging. Welcome to the Future Ancients podcast. My name is Luca Lesson. This episode of the podcast is brought to you by my patrons, those legendary human beings out there in the world, possibly listening right now, who have come on board on my Patreon page to show their support for my creativity and my creative pursuits during this crazy time of closures and cancellations and COVID-19. We crossed a milestone. We finally reached 100 patrons this week we are now at 115 and i would just like to thank you all so much man it is so humbling to hear and see all your messages and to hear your um you know stories of support your whether you're school teachers that use my work or i performed somewhere and you saw it and it impacted you just so many people coming together and it is really humbling so thank you all so much i hope we can keep growing this community together This episode of the podcast is with the great Nardine. She is a really special human being. She is a poet and a rapper and a singer. But most of all, I think she's just a really thoughtful human being. She is a questioner, which I think all great artists are. She critiques and questions and self-reflects most importantly of all and does that in a work that is so important for all of us to do. This conversation was really powerful for me. We could have gone for double the amount of time that we did, but we crossed a number of different conversations. We connected dots that I hadn't connected before. We talked about everything from spirituality, religion, family, culture, creativity, creative process, and a little bit of uh, Harry Potter sprinkled in there for good luck as well. (laughs) Uh, I really appreciated this conversation. At the end of this podcast episode, I have recorded a new poem. It is called Church, and it is a triptych, which means it is actually three poems kind of squashed together into one, Church 1, Church 2, and Church 3. They're a response to some reflections that I had around Christianity and really what Christianity is about as I was born and and. Um, christened Greek Orthodox there's been a lot of questioning in my life and a lot of observing in my life about people that really do pursue Christianity as a way of life and others that are more interested in how they look or how the dogma fits or how they can prove themselves to be something without you know true self-reflection I'm not here to say who those people are or aren't but I do know that there's a lot of uh, facade in the world at the moment and I guess this poem is a reflection of that and a reflection of the part of the conversation I had with Nadine. I hope you all really love this episode as much as I loved recording it. This is the Future Ancients podcast. Nardine, what is up? Welcome to the Future Ancients Podcast. Hello, Lika. <laughs> How are you? 
I'm doing great. Life is good. Yeah. Where are you at? You're in Sydney? Yeah, I'm in Sydney. I'm living with mum and dad right now, um, which has been challenging and beautiful. Awesome. Um, Yeah, I'm in my dad's study right now because my studio has a tin roof. So, and it's raining. So, yeah. It's much quieter in here. Yeah. I had a similar situation once I had a studio with a, with a tin roof, like a garage, converted garage. Yeah. <laughs> and it's like, you're in, you, you're in it, you know, and the vibe's rolling and just a couple little, couple little drips from God yeah. and you're out. <laughs> you're like, well, guess this verse <laughs> needs to be reworked. <laughs> yeah. You, you start thinking, oh, maybe I could include like rain sounds in the song. <laughs> like maybe that'd be cool. And it's just not. <laughs> you've been yeah. recording yeah man i've been um yeah so i just dropped an ep um but after that like uh since moving back in with mom and dad i've really f- doubled down on my home studio setup so like learning how to make demos that sound actually all right enough for me to want to listen back to them um yeah and like i got a few lessons from a friend how to use logic and mm. um And that's been really like, you know how sometimes in life there's things that you just, your mind doesn't even let you approach the possibility of attempting it Mm because you just think it's so outside of what you can do. But then Mm. someone breaks it down for you in in an hour, you're like, oh, okay, like I could actually do this. (laughs) I'm a producer. Yeah. (laughs) When did did that happen? (laughs) Yeah. Yeah, that's mad. I think... To be honest, this whole lockdown thing has really opened that up a lot for me. You know what I mean? Like I was like, I'm not this guy. I'm not that guy. But now that I've got time and mental capacity and, you know, no gigs and no touring and all these other things I don't have to think about. And it's like, oh, I could build a garden bed. Yeah. (laughs) You know, and I'm like out there with tools and shit. My friends kind of help and, but, and, you know, like it's a bit of there's tools and things that I don't have, but. But yeah, like I can make shit and I can learn new shit and I can, you know, like it's been really powerful to just be like self-sufficiency without anyone visiting means I have to figure it out. Yeah. Not much cash to pay someone to do it. And I want to learn. And yeah. yeah, the brain space is there. So let's do it. Yeah, I've loved it. I've really like a lot of things during lockdown. I've just figured out... Um, yeah, like you can just do a lot more than you think. I've also read a lot of books that have like recently in the lockdown as well that have, um, you know, research, like scientific research Mm. that say um, like on this topic that we can learn, you know, Mm. and that the the mindset you can learn will change your life, you know? Mm. Yeah. Awesome. Which books are they? The first one that I read, um, so all of them, so I listened to a podcast called um, Impact Theory. It's by this guy, Tom Bilyeu. It's mm-hmm. it's an amazing podcast. He'll get people like Ray Dalio, like economic, um, mm-hmm. like one of the world's richest people or something, to people like Deepak Chopra, to like brain scientists, to mm. like entrepreneurs. Like he's got all these different peoples on and um, it's really interesting. This is a great podcast, but he has this book list, 27 books that he thinks you should read in order to like unlock your potential. So mm. I just started reading them in lockdown. I'm up to book number five or six or something now, but the first one was called Mindset by Carol Dweck. 
And it's literally about, it talks about the difference between a growth mindset and a fixed mindset. Hmm. And like, yeah, a growth mindset says like, um, intelligence is not static. It's something that can be learned. Like I can always improve. I love challenges because they allow me to improve. Whereas fixed mindsets are like, I was born this way. I can't change it, you know, or like, Hmm. yeah, I can't because of A, B, C, and D. Yeah. Yeah. I think there's, I love those conversations, man, because it also moves towards like nature or nurture. You know, was I born with a fixed amount of, you know, intellect and I get this from my dad and I get this from my mom, but I don't, so I can't do this and I can't do that. So is it nature or is it nurture? You know, I can learn this. I can break down that trauma. I can heal this part of, you know, my heritage or my, or my story, or, you know, I can move into another level. And I think there's some people that try and bypass generational trauma and say it's all nurture that you can do that there's no excuse that there's no such thing as anything holding us down there's no such thing as any and i think that can be dangerous Mm. because it also starts to ignore things like poverty and oppression and history and you know Mm -hmm. but i think it's also very dangerous to be 100 percent like i'm a complete victim of my circumstance that I was Absolutely. born a certain way in a certain situation. And I know it's kind of sitting on the fence, but I, I'm pretty, pretty, you know, secure in my decision that I think it's just 50, 50 of both. I'm just going to yeah. split it down the middle that if, if you want to lean into the, the stuff that you think you were born with and that's it, and that's your limit, then you will, and they will limit you. And if you want to lean into this ability to, to expand from that without ignoring it, you know, without, pretending it doesn't exist because I think there's lots of value in that what we're born with as well but I think splitting it down the middle is kind of more healthy than trying to just go one way yeah absolutely I like that idea just in life in general like always being able to see both sides and everything is true and not true you know like everything Mm. exists in um, balance and opposition with each other but I I think when I think about things like um Cause I, I do think, you know, I talk a lot about in my life in general, I talk a lot about responsibility, like taking responsibility for your life, for mm. your circumstances. Um, and I really do think about people that are born into poverty or born into like really abusive families. And the, the way I frame it for myself is like, if it was only nurture, then no one who had ever born into who had ever been born into an abusive family would have made it out but there are people that make it out you know mm. um so it's if it like, was only nature if it was sorry, only if it was only nature yeah yeah exactly and there's always outliers no matter how yeah. bad you think your life is someone who's had it worse has done better than you exactly <laughs> so i think that's why for me like the, the mindset of like no matter what's happened i can what figure it out i can work my way out of it you know mm. even if it's not true but just yeah. having that framework in my mind these mm. past few months has allowed me to achieve so much. Yeah. And, and to do that also without being hard on ourselves, like without going, mm-hmm. oh, why haven't I figured it out yet? Why, you know, I should be here if they can do it and they've come from worse than me and I can't do it. You know, it, and for me, it's really about being super compassionate with yourself at the same time. Mm-hmm. Um, pulling or or pulling back this sense of urgency and kind of really practicing patience and and being aware of what's going on and what you have built already in your life what you can capitalize on and what you can build on 
without kind of, yeah, without getting down on yourself and going, oh, why haven't I figured this shit out yet? You know, what's wrong with me? Instead, searching for just that next tiny step for me, it's always just been about what's the next little thing I can do, you know? The next step, Is it, yeah. Maybe it's write a song. Maybe it's work till three in the morning tonight to finish it. Or maybe it's mm. I need a massage. I need to swim. Mm. I need a week off. You know, like they mm. can be really great giant leaps forward taking time off because they can be so productive. Like I know that yeah. I can force my creativity, but when I've got a few days off, that's when my best ideas come. <laughs> you know what I mean? Yeah. Like it's in that, in that good vibe. So that's also productive. Yeah. Yeah. I think that's like, um, it's self-awareness really. And just knowing what works for you, like, and I'm still figuring out, figuring it out a lot of the time, but yeah, it really depends. Like, um, some weeks I really need to kick my own ass and be like, Nadine, like you have done fucking nothing. <laughs> like, yeah. I don't care if you don't feel like doing anything right now, go and practice because that's how you get better and you want to mm-hmm. get better. So some weeks I need that mindset. Some weeks I like, some weeks I need to chill out. Exactly. You know? Yeah. Um, yeah. It's just, I guess, and it's a fine line because it's really hard to, I think self-deception is really easy. It's mm. a lot easier than we realize. Um, yeah. And yeah, just like, I mean, knowing- what is it? Yeah. Explain that to me. Cause I think most of our lives is self-deception. No, like we're all always looking through a lens. So yeah. Yeah. I suppose so. But what level did you mean? Well, I guess like in regards to, I, I frame a lot of my life about wanting a, like I look at a lot of my life through my music career. It's what I think about all the time, you know, um, to the point of obsession pretty much. Um, and so self-deception is like, okay, my voice is tired. I need to rest is like a healthy thought when I can actually feel my voice being tired Mm -hmm. or like, um, Oh, I'm blocked with this song. I should just stop, you know? And that's Mm. like, I think in a, a lot of those times, I've learned that if I just push through for the next 10 minutes or if I find myself like checking my phone because I'm stuck on a line or whatever, if I like catch myself and say, no, put your phone away and just push through for the next 10 minutes, I usually can get over the hill, you Hmm. know? Yeah. Um, Yeah. Yeah. It's knowing and that's know thyself, you know, like. Yeah, totally. We can follow all our favorite artists' journeys, but. You can't do exactly what they did to get to where they got to, but -hmm. you have to look at kind of the decisions they made or the way you can make decisions, you know, in similar ways, not necessarily the same decision, but what were the factors around it? And and yeah, Mm -hmm. to know what your limits are and know when you're procrastinating or know when it's actually time to let something marinate, you know? Yeah. Yeah. That's a big one. I think that's a big one for me. I, I tend tend to find it quite easy to get distracted or get you know get into that i think usually it's when i'm trying to push myself to write something because i have to because there's a deadline then i like Mm. i actually work better under pressure unfortunately so then i ended up procrastinating until the 11th hour and then i end up producing (laughs) something great in the last you know day or two before it's due which is the story of my entire life school university whatever with that when that pressure hits then i make cool shit until then i'm kind of just it's part of the process i guess but until then i'm kind of doing a bit of research writing a few lines got a couple ideas record a couple little voice messages to myself but when it's like 
time to lock in. It's time to lock in. And that's that law. I can't remember who the scientist was, but there was, a, I think it's actually a economist, an Italian economist who had this law. It's like tasks expand or contract according to the time that you have to do them. Oh yeah. Yes. I've, I can't remember either, but yeah. Yeah. I, I've so that, if yeah. it, if you've got two months to do it, it'll take you two months to make it'll the song. You two months, if you've got yeah, yeah, two yeah. hours to do it, it'll take you two hours to make the song, you know? Like, yeah. Yeah. But I love writing under pressure like that because it turns off the critical, like, I yeah. think the reason you can get it done in a day is because like, you're like, well, I have to get it done. I don't have any time for the voice in my head. That's like, oh, that's a shit line or blah, yeah. that's blah, blah, blah. It's like, you're just yeah. like, okay, it might be a shit line, but it's a line and I'm going to need more of them. So like, yeah, so let's go. And then, <laughs> yeah. and then if something still is a shit line, then you immediately attack it. Yeah. You know, you don't like sit back on it and get depressed and walk around with it in your head and kind of go, fuck, I wrote a shit line. You I'm know, a terrible like, person. You hit it straight away. You're like, all right, how can I make that line better? Yeah. Um, I find that interesting also when I'm doing workshops. So many people are like, oh, I can't believe I wrote this poem, you know? Um, mm. And I, th I think a lot of it is because like I'm like a boot camp poet facilitator you know what i mean i'm like you got six minutes to a stream of consciousness now you got five minutes i'm going to time you you know yeah. like respond to this you know prompt and in an hour of fully concentrated focus with a group of other people concentrating around them at the same time mm. everyone's focused no one's mucking around no one's getting distracted there's no you know like we're all here doing this thing so there's no you know iphone message thing coming up that's going to stop you there's no you yeah. know, when you get the, when you hit the block, you're not going to immediately turn to something that's going to feed your ability to, to be distracted. Mm. And then they all write a poem in an hour or two hours. And they're all like, damn, you're amazing. I'm like, no, I'm not at all. Actually, I'm just <laughs> putting boundaries and walking around, looking over your shoulder. Yeah. Cross folding my arms. <laughs> you know? yeah, Telling like you to do 20 pushups. Right. Yeah. I'm making yeah. you to do it. Yeah. It's pretty. So yeah. Learning how to do that to ourselves is, is, a good vibe is it really possible i want like this i'm just gonna i know your yeah. podcast you're meant to be asking questions but like no i like it do you think that i don't think it's possible to like replicate the exact same circumstances as like someone else you know like even at the gym right i mm. always work out harder if there's like if i'm at f45 and there's someone like pushing me if i'm by myself i like I might yeah. go hard if I force myself to, but I don't think I ever go as hard, you know? Mm. Yeah. Good question. I think it's possible. There's a really awesome book called Deep Work. Mm. And I loved that book when I read it. I can't remember the author, but Deep Work is a book about, you know, really valuing which types of work are most important, how much time we spend you know, doing Twitter or doing socials compared to how much time we spend making kill, killer art, you know, the killer mm. art, the writing, the line the you know, tussling with a melody, that's the deep work for us mm. or writing a book or whatever it is. Um, and emails and all the things that kind of facilitate the deep work. That's like the shallow work. You don't want to be doing much of that at all. You want to be off handing that off to other people or reducing it, or at least putting it into, you know, manageable, time scheduled chunks yeah. that just happen on the side and so deep work and in deep work they talk about how many different examples of people that create a sense of urgency 
by doing a grand gesture. One of the ways to create this sense of urgency and this, and this mm. focused work time is to make a grand gesture. So there was this guy that was asked to write a book in New York and he knew that if he stayed in New York and he did it that way, um, you know, in between work and in between family and whatever, it would take two months to write. But he also knew that he's really good at writing and focusing on, tra- on transport and on planes, which I am as well. And any time I'm on a plane and I've got my book or whatever with me, I'm always, I get a lot of work done because there's no distractions. So he's like, cool, well, I'm just going to do this crazy thing and it's going to, I'm going to produce the first draft. So he bought a flight from New York to Japan return with like 30 minutes in the airport and back. And he wrote the first draft of his book just like that because he had to because he's like when i get back i'm going to be so busy that's you know, so like, dope oh my so god he, I love so he it. just he just and you know what you would spend just say it cost him three or four grand you would spend that much money in two months going to cafes paying somebody to take care of your emails for the day yeah, you know yeah, yeah. food like if it's yeah. two or three months to write it you know you spend a lot of money you don't realize yeah. it but to facilitate writing something so it's kind of the same um yeah and other other writers that book out hotels in expensive places and you know to have like full retreats or some people own certain spaces like a tiny mm-hmm. retreat space and some people retreat hourly every day every morning like three mm-hmm. hours in the morning before the family wakes up i'm gonna write and other people are like one weekend a month i'm gonna mm-hmm. go away by myself and just write and no one's gonna disrupt me for 48 hours and there's all these different ways of having deep work and that's the that's what should be protected the most out of it, all of our time deep work time is what we need to protect because in the end that's everything's revolves around that our careers that, yeah our family the food on the table in the end revolves around the deep work not how good your instagram post was I love this idea and I'm fully just going to implement that. I have like an EP I'm working on now and it's like, you know, in the, like all the songs are there, all the drafts are there mm. essentially, but they just need to be like cleaned up, you know? Mm. So yeah, I think like just set aside <clears throat> four days of like clear my schedule and yeah, lock myself away. Yeah. And then even if you take time off in those, I find that when I take, when I'm in that fully focused period of focusing on one particular project, even taking time out during those days, like just say you book nine to five. Mm. If you work on in the studio from, you know, nine to 11 or 12, and then you go for lunch, I find it way better if I just go for lunch by myself with no friend, with no hang, Mm. because the project keeps growing in Mm. you. Because there's no, there's also no distraction. You're not thinking about someone else's life. You're not, talking about some other project you're not no one's coming to you with issues yeah and so you you your focus doesn't get taken away even though you're off by yourself doing something else i find that time is also really important within the schedule of creating don't like go oh, i'm going to create from nine to eleven then i'm going to meet yeah. my homie and then i'm going to go back like you could do yeah. that to a certain extent but for me there's a thin line and sometimes me and my lady get i get a little bit like I get to the edge and I'm like, I can't talk anymore. <laughs> it's going to end up in my poem. Like I have to, you know what I mean? Like it's infiltrating. Yeah. I yeah, love yeah, you. Yeah. I got to go back. And she finds it super weird, but it's really just protecting this, this, you know, energy that has to be. Do. 
the things yeah, we do super, for our we art. Are super weird. Yeah. Super weird. Um, I wanted to talk to you about your art, though. I want to talk to you about Oxcord. I want to talk to you about at the start of this conversation, you said that, you know, you're staying with your mum and dad and your parents and that's difficult and awesome. Mm-hmm. I feel like Oxcord is kind of in that realm of yeah, discussing totally. the difficult and the awesome. And I found it so amazing, perfect, mm-hmm. like su- such a beautiful tune. Yeah, and yeah. And it came at a time for me where I was thinking about all of this and looking online and and looking within myself for kind of answers and conversations around this particular issue which is many of us from backgrounds that are diverse backgrounds we find it difficult to critique our own communities Mm. because we know that in some way shape or form that can be used as ammunition for for right-wing white australia and it can Mm. be used against us even though we are at least for me that's my hesitation hesitancy kind of comes from there i'm not sure if i'm that's interesting i haven't actually thought about that yeah i i kind of go i look at it like that like i know that the the, some things have happened to me for instance from different communities in australia and i'll back off from saying them publicly because i know that even though that's us critiquing ourselves or each other and Mm -hmm. looking deeply and we have some kind of care around that and we understand and acknowledge the difficulties of that um it can still just be pulled from us and turned into a reason to hate or a reason for another headline or a reason to support why this community or that community is messed up in some way yeah absolutely so it felt good to hear your tune and feel you lovingly critique and discuss (laughs) and and really uh build in some nuance in the discussion. I think in Australia, we're so, most of us from diverse backgrounds are so used to just playing a card mm-hmm. and, and delivering our cultures to the mainstream world or to our audiences in a way that we think they will understand, you know, and that waters it down inevitably. Whereas I feel like you really didn't. And that was awesome. Thank you. I appreciate that. Um, it's funny with orgs called like, initially it was going to be so i was in um and it's funny we you know we come from talking about deep work i was at campbelltown arts center staying in their residency apartment for um for a week or so um speaking of my dad's just walking in (laughs) oh good um so i was staying in their residency apartment for a week or so just give me Okay, sorry, it should be fine. It's okay. <laughs> um, so I was, yeah, staying in their apartment for um, for a week, and I was I was in the west, and I had this beat from Stack Hat, and I was like, oh, I'll I'll write this song about growing up in the west. But then, as I'm writing like the first verse, I realized that like, um, my experience of growing up in the west was not like the typical it's not the experience that's like in the media of like there wasn't I wasn't around any gangs or anything it was just like Arabs I grew up in Western Sydney at church and Mm. that was my upbringing you know Mm. so that's what just came out and like I think because I wrote the song so the second verse in Arabic like I essentially wrote it speaking to my parents and I think Mm. that's why the nuance came out is because I wasn't trying to speak to anyone else you know Mm. it was just speaking to them and just saying and like I've come to realize that any kind of resentment it's not 
helpful. Like everyone's just doing the best they can with what they can, you know, um, I genuinely believe that. Yeah. We're all just trying to do our best and like forgiving them, I think is one of the best things I did, you know? Mm. Um, and yeah, and just realizing as well, like even in that Arabic verse, you know, I would say things like in the verse, um, I said, like, when I'm outside, I act like you guys are mean to me. Um, But when I'm in the house, like, I'm rude as hell to you, you know? Mm. Yeah. And it's just, like, just realizing that, like, I, as much as, like, there were things that I didn't like about the way I was brought up, like, I also spoke back to them with, like, hate sometimes and like there was a lot of resentment and I spent a lot of my like 18 to maybe 23 like just rebelling as much as I could you know which is Mm. just yeah not helpful Mm. but did it give you did that rebellion also open doors for you like was it also like absolutely you had to kick in the doors rather than ask permission right yeah absolutely like so it's interesting you know and I've done a lot of like internal work like internal searching um where i have realized that so much of my personality and who i have become has come about from like not wanting to end up like my mother (laughs) Mm. you know so i speak my mind i when my brother's like uh, i have this memory right of being i was in high school and one of my so from kindergarten to year six i went to a coptic orthodox school so like from kindergarten to year six i went to church with arabs and i went to a coptic orthodox school so like i didn't know any white people i didn't understand australian culture and then in high school i went to penrith selective high so you know boom i'm just like in school with pretty much white people straight away. Like, and it was like this huge difference. It was like a public school compared to a private school. It was super different. It was when I started becoming introduced to Australian culture. Um, So one, one time, maybe like in year seven or eight or something like that, one of my friends is um, slept over my house. And in the morning, my brother was like, um, can you make, um, I wake up, uh, like, sorry, we're awake. And then my brother wakes up and he's like, Dudu, make me a sandwich. And Mm. like, this is just how my brother spoke to me. And that's, I would, I did it. Like, that's Mm. just what I was used to, you know, (laughs) because that's just how it was. Like, if your brother asks you to make a sandwich, like you make him a sandwich because Mm. that's how it works. And then, so I'm like making the sandwich and my friend who's Australian, Olivia, she's like, "Um, as if you're making him a sandwich. And I was like, what? She's like, if my brother asked me to make him a sandwich, I would hit him. Like, (laughs) and it was just this realization of like, oh my God, like I don't have to do everything I'm told by a man, you know? Mm. And then I think that like, so gradually, the more I start to realize that, the more I become like intentionally um, feminist and intentionally like I speak back and I say no. And then I, Mm. I rap and I'm like, yeah, like it's it's a lot. A lot of what I'm doing now is because I'm trying to not be like my family. But then, as you say, the loving critique is like realizing that in a lot of ways that's been really detrimental to me as well. Because mm. like 
when you push so hard away from something, there's tension, right? But it's more like now I get to choose the bits that I want and I get mm. to choose the bits that I don't want. Yeah. Yeah. And be proud of who you are to the point where you don't have to shut things down or run away from them to deal with them. You know, you yeah. can stand there on your own two feet and go, these are my beliefs. This is who I am. And I love you. Yeah. And we're here. That's yeah. really powerful. And some people don't get to that point in their whole entire lives, you know? Um, but I, I wonder how much of it is, is the, I just spent four months in Greece at the end of last year and just noticing so much of how much the patriarchy and how much sexism is founded in the church and how, how strong that is for me. Like I can't mm -hmm. stand it. I can't watch. I it's out of control. Yeah. And, um, and I wonder if Christianity could, I guess the answer is yes, but I, I don't know it very well, but you know, can it live without that sexism, you know, can it exist or is it just a tool, you know, for sexism? My mum always, even since I was a kid, she was always like, Oh, the church, you know, like, yeah, we get it. It's cultural, whatever. But you know, there was always that one rule where women can't enter if they have their period. And my mum kind of taught me that from a very young age, you know, told, you know, her complaint about that also made me go, yeah, that's ridiculous. Mm. And when I was in Greece, I was talking to people about it and no one really has an answer. They say that it's just blood. It's not a woman's period. It's anybody with a, like an open wound or blood in any sense, but it's just like, <laughs> yeah. Okay. So, you know, so you're checking people like when they're yeah, exactly. In, so like, some dude has a bandaid, you're going to be like, sorry, can't enter. Yeah. I'm not sure about that. And, um, but I thought it was funny. I was talking to a friend in Melbourne and she was like, yeah, it's the best. I used to use it as an excuse when I was a, when I was a, young girl and so i wouldn't have to go to church with my dad i would say <laughs> i have women's issues and he never asked her why she had women's issues like two or three times a month <laughs> she had a like really super regular period <laughs> so she wouldn't have to go to church but um yeah it's That's really interesting yeah it's wild man it's um oof it's yeah it feels a bit icky when i, well, I had i went to a christening while i was in greece and i love the people that were christening their kid and it's all good it's their thing and and i get it but i hadn't been to one for a very long time and it was super confronting for me just how yeah sexist and male controlled and yeah it was it was intense for me to watch well okay so here's the thing for me and like i will preface this and say that i think there are beautiful aspects of religion mm -hmm. um however 100%. The parts that really, there's a lot of things that I believe are wrong with it. So I read a book called um, Damian by a Herman, Herman Hesse. I don't know how you say his name. Herman Hesse. Herman Hesse. Yeah. Mm. And he talks about Abraxas, which is the God, like the whole God, right? The God of um, light and dark, the God of mm -hmm holiness and evil and i believe that where we went wrong we as in humanity is that with christianity it really champions the light you know and you speaking about the christian about christianity um sorry about a christening it's like i've i went to a christening recently as well and it was like i um it was like uh what did it say? Um, oh, I, I, I renounce, 
I renounce evil, I search for the light, etc., etc. It's like, it's really like I, I spit on darkness, yeah. you know? Yeah. I believe there's so many issues with that because first of all, it teaches us that the dark parts of ourselves need to be repressed and shouldn't be looked at, yeah. which I think is when you repress something. So for example, when you repress sexuality, it comes out sideways. It comes out in other ways. When you repress like anger, it comes out sideways. And I think that humanity is like, I feel like wars get started because of this, because we don't know, we don't have healthy ways to deal with the negative emotions. Right. Mm. Also when you like our brains, the way our brains work on association, if you teach a whole religion, a whole culture of people to search for the light, what's going to happen to darkness? We think darkness is evil. Where did racism come from? <laughs> you know, and not like, not that the co correlation is like, it's not like our brain goes, not consciously says, okay, light is good. Dark is evil. Therefore I'm a racist, but you create um, subconscious biases that I think are responsible for a lot of this. Like I search for the light. I look for the light. Yeah. We build yeah. very deep dichotomies. Yes. Very yeah. deep dichotomies. And as my lovely lady would say, you know, it's a, for her, it's about nature for us, I guess it's about nature and, and a full 50% of every single day is dark. Yeah. You know, and like, it's not something, and I guess it's, that seems very simplified, but it is very simple. You know, it's quite easy to just be like, I'm searching for the light. I'm a Christian. I'm searching for the light. And then all of a sudden some dark thing comes up in your life and you pretend it's not there because you don't want to be accused of being evil or wrong or mean or whatever. And I actually, like you say, it comes out sideways. I think that's why there is so much, um, so much trauma and so much abuse of children and young people in the Catholic church, especially um, and in other forms of religion as well, because it's coming out sideways because they're pretending it doesn't exist or that sexual desires are wrong when they're completely oh, and that they're, yeah. natural. Um, yeah. But yeah, it's very complex. It's very complex. And I, and I do also agree to say that um, religion in general, to denounce religion completely 100% top to bottom, I'm not sure is very... I don't know. I don't think it really works. I think it's too easy. I think any answer that's a full denouncement of anything 100% is just not nuanced enough. I agree that organized religion leads people to stop questioning. Uh, but I also believe that if you really do follow some of the tenets, the basic tenets of Christianity, or, of, or if you believe that Jesus was a human being that did certain things the right way and looked after poor people and the oppressed and the downtrodden, then that's enough for me. Like, that's like, well, I could work on that the rest of my life and still not get that right. Why do I need all the rest of these, yeah. you know, chapters? <laughs> yeah. Just treating people like I want to be treated, yeah. being good to other people, being compassionate, looking after those and looking out for those that are, you know, that need a leg up. Like, that, great. That's enough. I'm stoked. Like, yeah, I'm down that's, for that. that's wonderful. That's cool. like, but, like, why does it matter if I say fuck? You know, yeah. like, that's the, that's the thing for me that, yeah, I, I just think humanity made it too complex, you know? Mm. Yeah, it's interesting 
in Greece at the moment, there's a big conversation around this because of so many refugees landing on the islands, especially Rhodes, where my family's from, where I spend a fair bit of time, and the surrounding islands, Samos. And there's a lot of refugees arriving, and 99% of them are Muslim. And so there's this big rift, because obviously those islands have hundreds of years of history of being oppressed and being occupied by Ottoman Empire. But then at the same time, they are fundamentally Christian. So there's many people that are reaching their hands out, giving food, looking after, feeding, connecting, you know, giving a lot of love towards um, people from coming through Turkey, from Syria and other parts of the world. But then there's also a lot of people that are like, we need to turn these people back. They can't stay. They have to move. They have to get out of Greece. We can't have them here. If too many Muslim people come here, then Turkey will start to try and annex our islands as parts of Turkey. And then we'll be colonized again because they'll be able to vote once there's, once there's enough Muslims on our yeah. island and they are more than 50% of the population, then we'll lose the vote and we'll lose the, you know, it's another, you know, like all these fears are coming back up because they were totally screwed over for hundreds of years trauma yeah so there's so much trauma there so and it took them 100 years to get greece back you know to fight back from the first uprisings so there's so much of of a conversation about how christian are you you know like how Mm. you know will your christianity will your belief in looking after the other will your belief in philoxenia this, you know, love of the other, love of the stranger. Can you say that again? That was really nice. Philoxenia. Philoxenia. That's Philo, nice. Love of the other. Like sen, xenos is, is a stranger, like xenophobia. Yeah. Well, okay. So philoxenia, like philosophia yeah. is love of, of knowledge. Philoxenia knowledge. is the love of another. So it's uh, very interesting to see what, what comes first for people. Yeah. You know, does your protection of your country and your land or your your fears that come up is that more important for you or are you so strongly adhering to your christian roots that you do but still believe even after everything that's happened that you can forgive it and take every single individual that you see no matter what their background as a new individual without a story without you know trying to all these all these things that come into your head are oh, they trying to take our land they're trying to do this can you see them as 100 percent new human beings that need help and that as a christian you mm. will help them and yeah it's yeah it's interesting like i still haven't been able to figure almost like a healthy or see a healthy expression of it yet you know, like I'm still waiting to see, not like I'm waiting, like I'm waiting, you know, I'm not like sitting there anticipating it, but like. <laughs> I'm going to pause my life and wait yeah. <laughs> to see if people are really Christian. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. I think if you fall in love with like the spirit as opposed to the rules, mm. I feel like well, that's the, the conversation around dogma, you know, is, yeah. is the dogma worth it or is it just yeah. really about, yeah, that the basics, the vibe. Yeah. Yeah. There's a guy that has, um, um, we're going to pull out so many cool things that people aren't going to know where to um, look at, look for them. Um, but there is a thing, oh, what's his name? The four agreements. 
Have you heard of the four agreements? No, I haven't heard of the four agreements. Um, it looks like we have a visitor. Oh yeah, come. What's your, who's this? Came to, this is Noah. He Noah. Came to get his milk. Oh, nice. Hey, Noah. Um, he says hello. He can't hear you because I'm in headphones, but Noah says hello. Okay, he's going now. He just he got, got his, his milk? milk. Yeah. Thanks, Noah. <laughs> That's my um my brother's son. Oh, nice. Yeah. I love him. Yeah, cool. <laughs> so the four agreements. Yeah. Is a book by Don Miguel Ruiz. That name's and familiar. Yeah, it's really beautiful. It's super simple. Um and basically the first agreement is be impeccable with your word. Yeah, I think I've heard this. I love this. Yeah. Next the second one. one is don't take anything personally. Mm-hmm. Third one is don't make assumptions. Don't mm. assume anyone knows what you're talking about or you didn't yeah. say anything or whatever. And, and they didn't get it when you didn't say it. And then the fourth one is all you do, always do your best. Mm, I love that. So it's just like you could spend your whole life just getting one of them right. Yeah. You know what I mean? Like just learning. But that's the, yeah, that's the beauty though, is that there's always more. There's, yeah. It can always be done better. You can always understand yourself better. You can always write a, a better song, you know, whatever yeah. you define as better. Like there's always more. And that to me is like, that's exciting. There's so much possibility. Yeah. 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 It's never ending. I had a conversation with a poet that will remain unnamed who said to me that he left spoken word because he felt like he mastered it. He's like, huh. he's like, oh, I, mastered, I mastered it, man. I don't need to do that anymore. Page poetry is way, you know, more of a challenge for me. Slam poetry or spoken words, the same shit. And there's a formula and that's it. Hmm. And on the one hand, I knew, I knew what he was talking about because I think he was talking about how formulaic it's become, yeah, how people yeah, yeah. are um, imitating certain poems that they know will win a slam or they're in, in, mm-hmm. imitating a certain cadence or a certain tone of voice or a certain intonation that, that has become like this American slam style that everyone tends to copy that, that I don't dig. You know what I'm talking about? yeah can i <laughs> yeah Once let me finish done. my point yeah yeah, hold, hold yeah, yeah 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 so i get that end of it i get yeah. that there is there has become a thing that people say that that is slam poetry or that is performance poetry that is spoken word and if you yeah. don't do that then it's not um which i find really interesting some people see what i do and they go oh but you're not really a slam poet or you know because yeah. you're not because i'm not doing it in that way but to think that you've mastered a genre, it's like impossible. Like mm. the true masters of any genre are like, I don't know shit. Yeah, exactly. You know? But what that says is that I think the interesting thing, I mean, there's two ways of looking at that. So either that person is like, maybe you're just not into slam poetry, which is yeah, cool. Totally you know, cool. like put it, maybe you just love poetry on the page. However, you could also, maybe you do love slam poetry and you're just like scared that now your improvement has plateaued, you know, Mm. there's two ways of looking at it. But I think that if you're really like driven by that passion and obsession, then like you don't really have a choice and like you kind of just end up going back to it anyway, you know, like, yeah. Interesting. It'll chase you down. 
Yeah, totally. <laughs> Speaking of that slam poetry style. Yeah. So I don't really write poems that much anymore either. Like I've definitely been um, more into music. Like the last two poems I've written have been commissioned, like just because I've been nice. asked to write a poem, you know, mm -hmm. but I rarely sit down and write poems anymore. Um, <laughs> but I started playing, I was at like before this ISO thing happened, I just thought of the best YouTube channel or Instagram page. And it's just like pop songs done as slam poems. Yes. So just like, <laughs> yes, you know, like I'm bringing sexy back. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. You used to call me on my cell phone. Yeah. That would go late off. night when I need your love. Yeah. Call me <laughs> on my cell phone. Yes. <laughs> I know when that hot light blinks. <laughs> that, that can only mean one thing. Exactly. You know, <laughs> yeah. how much would that go off? That's like, I feel like that's such a good YouTube I saw, channel. I saw on Instagram, someone's there's some page I can't remember. And, and like, I, they tagged me and it's like somebody reading me. It's like someone, I'm going to feel bad now if she listens to this. There's a, a young poet and she's like, um, so-and-so reads Luca lesson and she's reading oh, yeah, okay. the confluence. I didn't, I didn't fully watch it, not because I didn't want to, I just didn't have time. I glanced at it. I was like, oh, well, but that'd be hilarious if we all got together and we're like, Luca Lesson reads Drake. Yeah. Nardine <laughs> reads Kylie Minogue. Yeah, totally. <laughs> <laughs> that would be a great, yeah, I'd love that. <laughs> I think that's, I think that's a golden idea. Yeah. I mean, how many ideas we have that we don't. Yeah. Totally. I was going to start, <laughs> I was going to start posting a hashtag books. I'm never going to write. <laughs> <laughs> yep. Nice. Every yeah. couple of days I'm like, yeah, that's the book. That's what I need. <laughs> that's a great idea. Yeah. And then yeah. Nope. is it a book? Is it a, is it a poem? Is it just a title? It's just the title. It's just a title. Yeah. <laughs> it's just the title of something that won't happen. Yeah. Warren Buffett has this, um, like strategy for and I read this in a different book um but he has this like strategy of uh distilling down your goals so he'll be like write down like all the things you want to achieve ever like you could mm. get to like 30 or 40 you know like I want to mm. write this but and then like cross off everything except for five wow everything else is a distraction those five are the things that really matter to you Mad. and like work on those you know Mad yeah it's like how'd you go with that i haven't done it yet to be yeah. honest i'm scared, I'm too scared. <laughs> yeah i'm scared scared of losing all these visions i have of myself yeah. doing things that i'm never gonna do yeah but i mean like but you know what happens when you do those five or one or two mm -hmm. so many other things happen along the way totally like building this odysseus project i've been working on now for like six years five mm. years i never like when i was like all right, we've got the first version of it done. We want to take it to the end of the earth. We want to make it the ancient Greek Hamilton with less cheese. <laughs> and we're Sick. like, let's, let's do this, you know? And along the way, man, I've done so many things. I've learned so many things. I've traveled to so many places. I've studied in Athens with academics on the Odyssey of, you know what I mean? Like I've just done shit mm. that I was just like, I'd never had a dream to do that. Mm. But when I got there, I was like, this 
probably would have been a dream if I'd even imagined that it could happen. You know what I mean? Like totally. Yeah. And so I think that's, that's a mad part of like when you pick one or two things, when you, when you do, um, I try and adhere to inch wide, mile deep, you know, yes. just pick a few things and go as deep as you can with them. Even with writing a poem, you know, like try to, I try to exhaust every Avenue within it before I put it out into the world, if possible. See, and I've, yeah. I found a way to hack that. Hack it. One of my things is Google. Um, no, no, it's just intelligence. <laughs> I just want to be like smart. Like I want to be constantly learning, you know, like yeah. I want to have a lot of knowledge. So that just like, because I'm interested in so many things. So yeah. that gives me an excuse to like, cool, like I can research heaps of music stuff, but also I can like study things like how the yeah. economy works because that's also interesting to me. And it's like, yeah. Yeah. For me, my poems are the impetus for research. Yes. Yes. So yes, I left yes, uni. Yes. I was studying at uni. I got, you know, whatever the pieces of paper are and I was teaching at uni. And then what I, did you study? I studied anthropology first mm -hmm. and cause I did it. Well, I studied business first and then I turned up to my calculus exam without a calculator. <laughs> and I realized it wasn't for me. The bloody artist. <laughs> <laughs> and I tried to study international business cause it'd be more culturally cool. And yeah. it, was, it was shit. Okay. And then I did an arts degree, open arts degree and, and found first nations, indigenous subjects and um, anthropology stuff. And, you know, started learning the real history of Australia and freaking out and, you know, being mm. diving into that world deeply. And then I did an indigenous studies honors at Monash in Melbourne. And then I taught like a first year colonial history type subject at Monash. Mm. And then I did a, I did a very long-term masters in what was called sound design at the Victorian college of the arts, huh. but it was a thesis. So I agreed to do it because I spoke to the supervisor and I said, I'm only going to do it if I can basically do a degree in performance poetry. Wow. A master's in performance poetry. He's like, yeah, poems are sounds if you're performing them. So we'll, it'll be a sound design masters, but you will do it in performance poetry. So Amazing. I, yeah, it was crazy. He kind of designed it for me. So I wrote a thesis and I, and I did a 40 minute performance. That was like my, my final kind of exam, you know, Wow. solo performance, uh, like a solo show. And yeah. um, so, yeah, that's, that's all my, all my, university Studying, stuff yeah. but at a certain point i was just like i need this information to be out in the world you know i, I need to do mm. this edutainment thing you know because all mm -hmm. this knowledge on australian history was just locked up in you know dusty bookshelves in a in a mm. ivory towers of universities that not everyone can access and i noticed that the public com conversation around australia's history was like 50 years behind the conversation going on in universities um, and so that was part of my process, but I guess now I, I, my journey has gone inward as well and looking at Greek culture and Greek history and who I am in all of this. And I basically choose the topics that I want to write big projects about, not because I already know heaps about them and I want to make a project about this thing that I'm already an expert in. Usually it's because I hardly know jack shit about the topic. And mm. I want to learn a lot about it. 
Yeah, so you I want an excuse the, to research. Yeah, I use it as the excuse for my own kind of self-guided learning. Yeah. And I access people in universities sometimes or I read books or I, you know, go to certain places and I find vocabulary and words and feelings and whatever and and make them new again and retell them in in a new way because I wanted to learn about it. Not because Amazing. I, like I hadn't even read the Odyssey when I started, when I decided to do the Odyssey project. I hadn't read it. <laughs> I haven't told Bold. anyone that before. <laughs> Some bold. people are like, yeah, it shows, bro. Yeah, nice <laughs> That's bold. No, but I was just like, I want to learn. That's, it's, it's foundational. Mm. So many artists have engaged with the Odyssey over, over the last, you know, few hundred years, especially from... I don't know, from Prince, who mm. did a thing called Glam Slam Ulysses, uh, mm-hmm. like a show based on a bunch of songs and whatever, based on the Odyssey. Wow, okay, I didn't know that. Uh, yeah, like so many people. Margaret Atwood, I think, wrote the Penelope ad, which is the, the Odyssey from Penelope's perspective. Mm-hmm. Yeah, just like, it's it's like almost like a rite of passage for some artists. Yeah, so, yeah. So um, I felt like I had to do it. So here I am. It's, yeah, I think, I don't know, man. I just, I love humans. It's so fascinating to me that this need or like this impetus to document for us to like mm. document and to tell stories. Like why, why do I write songs? Why do you write poems? Like, mm. you know, that's insane. Like, yeah. What's your What's your work in progress answer right now? Because I I acknowledge it will probably change next week. Yeah. Um, Why do you write songs? What's this? Maybe this new EP. Like, what's that? What's the impetus? Why? Why bother? Well, this new EP is like, funnily enough, a bunch of like sad love songs because I was going through a thing, and like, Damn, a thing. and I I never write love song like it's just not been in my work you know like my past two eps like one of one song on each of them has been about a relationship but everything else is like it's funny i was about to say much deeper than that because i guess i have a bias against (laughs) against like (laughs) deeper than love poem (laughs) yeah (laughs) (laughs) it's funny it's that's actually see you know talking about self-awareness right it's really interesting for me to now inspect that like yeah i do have this um subconscious belief that love songs are like kind of trivial in a way or like oh oh, come on like write about something more important like wow yeah yeah so a friend of mine said to me recently he was like yeah i I love luca lesson you know he's like putting me in brackets like luca lesson (laughs) um he writes about all this stuff but i don't feel like i know you know like your personal stuff like what's going on inside you and i and i i mean i have written poems about depression and suicide and you know a bunch different things but i guess i'm kind of more well known for the political stuff and yeah and yeah like maybe that's the same for me i sit down at the page and and i'm kind of like well if i'm if this poem's going to make a difference in the world it's got to you know hit all the right marks (laughs) of all the different you know us's and them's and whatever's Um, whereas the confluence, the love poem that I wrote that actually ended up winning me the national slam 
Yeah. Like I've had a judge at a poetry thing come like like fully sobbing, cry and give me a hug because they heard this poem, you know, like it's funny because yeah. he gave me a bad score because it smashed him. And then afterwards <laughs> he came and hugged on my shoulder because he'd just gone through a breakup. Oh, wow. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> so it does like, I don't know, it makes love poems. I don't know, man. They make a difference in another way. Of like, course they, they make do. us believe in love. Like what's more healing than love? Like, Of course they do. And like, I think that that's anything that's, I mean, who the fuck am I to judge? it like who the fuck am Mm. i to say like if it's real then it's worth it even if it's not real it's still worth it like even if it's a piece of shit poem i'm doing air quotation marks if you're listening (laughs) even if it's like a piece of shit poem it's still something that you sat down and wrote and that's like that's awesome Mm. and like even if it did something for you if it alleviated you your boredom for 10 minutes or whatever like that's who the hell am i to like say it's good or not good you know? Like- yeah. It's an interesting conversation. It's a re- very, very deep, interesting conversation. There's um, so many different perspectives on this. And so the one yeah. thing is like, I'm writing life-changing shit that's going to make the world change. And I am, you know, super cool because I only write about political stuff and I encourage people to go out in the world and they get political and, you know, that's how the world changes. Cool. I get that perspective and I agree to a certain extent. However, there's a story from Pablo Neruda, Chilean mm-hmm. poet who wrote mm-hmm. a long kind of sad <clears throat> poem along like it's a book of, of kind of depressing poems. And he mm-hmm. got told from somebody that their brother read his book of poems and they were already depressed, but they got so depressed that they killed themselves after reading that book of poems. So he pulled that book of poems off the shelves because he was like, I can't live with the idea that this could cause that. So you either go, yes, our poetry causes things in the world. And therefore if I write sad stuff, I acknowledge that it could push someone over the edge, but if I write beautiful things, it could bring someone out of the darkness or out of Mm. the hard spot that they're in. Or you say, it's not really my fault that that Mm. person had years of trauma and depression that led them to the point that my little book was like the straw that broke the camel's back, you know, it was like the last tiny thing mm. that pushed them to do something that they'd already been thinking about. It wasn't like they were having a super happy life and then they read a book and that was, it was all over. But then you also can't say that, you know, your work causes people to be happy 100% or it causes them to make social change 100%. They have to have already been thinking about it or feeling it or working on themselves. And you just kind of add a little bit to that. Well, it's resonance, right? It's like every, we all have energy field. Like we're all made up of a bunch of atoms vibrating. Everything is just stuff vibrating as are our poems and our songs. Like the emotions, the thoughts, the feelings that you put into a poem, they have a resonance as well. The songs that I write have a resonance as well. I don't know if this is like scientifically making sense, but I think think it makes sense. Yes. You're you're Nardinific. Nardinifically, yeah, yeah, great. Um, 
And I think that like you pull from the environment around you, what you are willing to. So I actually had a crazy thought the other day, you know, like um, in the spiritual world or like the secret, all that stuff, like the law of attraction, Mm. right? I had a thought while I was in the shower. What if it's not the law of attraction? What if it's the law of observation? It's that you don't attract things to you based on what you vibrate. It's like you just see, you just observe what is already active within you. So mm-hmm. it's like you, so two people in the same room, there might be an amazing opportunity. But if one person is used, is not used to observing the world as a place full of opportunity, then they won't see the opportunity, right? So I think that when something like that happens where someone sees, reads a poem and they end up ending their life. That's because that's what was active within them already. And like, Mm. I don't found in that poem. That's what they found in it. And like, Mm. this is potentially like potentially controversial. Right. But you know, whatever, I'll just express, express my thought. Like, yeah, it's a work in progress. Yeah. Like I don't think that death is a bad thing, you know, Obviously, I would not, I'm not like saying that suicide is great and you should kill yourself. And like, I've been just to say as well, like I've been there, I've gone through depression. I have those thoughts. I used to have them really regularly, but I think as well that sometimes like, I think that everything lives on, you know, and it's like, Yeah, I I believe that if that's what happened, then that's what, what happened. happened. Yeah, you know. <laughs> yeah, without again, like like obviously you got to be careful when speaking about those things because yeah. I don't want anyone to get an idea. But like, yeah, I think that it's the natural way of things. And like, if that person genuinely in that moment felt that feeling, maybe that's how it was meant to happen. Yeah. I don't know. Yeah, it's epic. It's a, it's a, another can of worms. But yeah, yeah. <laughs> so many cans Ernest of Hemingway, worms. In a way, it's like so many writers took that have taken their lives, and and on the one hand, it's like we have to do suicide prevention work. Australia has, you know, a suicide rate of six every six hours a man takes his life, and I think every four or five hours a woman. And obviously, for people in LGBTQI community, those rates go up. Indigenous, yeah. you know, and as the minorities you know, get listed, the the statistics rise. And hmm. so there's an element of looking at it from a distance and going, we have to do something about suicide prevention. You know, like, why is this happening? How, what, what's, what is, what are we missing? What is it that is causing this? And then on the other hand, you're right. You know, people also have the right and the dignity to, to do with their own lives, what they, desire to do with their own lives it's just hard to see whether those people are doing it from a from a clear perspective or not from a really clear you know yeah and obviously i've i've lost um many friends from this crazy phenomenon and it never gets easier to Mm. to hear though you know to get that phone call or to get that message and i still am super confused about many of those stories especially about alice ether a poet from manangrita she grew up between manangrita and brisbane and amazing woman that was 
yeah, I'd kind of mentored, but I just fully respected her as an artist. So it was more just me um, reassuring her that she is as good as, <laughs> as, you know, she might think she is or she might yeah. pretend to, you know, yeah. say that she's not, but she's <laughs> great. Um, yeah. So we made some stuff together and it was really powerful. And I still get super confused by that, by that whole decision um, with her, especially. But have you ever, um, have you ever felt suicide? This is like, we're getting deep now, but I'm yeah. totally okay with that. Yeah. Um, have you ever felt, felt it? Yeah. Or, yeah. 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 Felt it probably about 10 years ago. It's pretty crazy for me to even think about who I was 10 years ago to who I yeah. am now. It's like, holy shit, I did it. You know, like I thought it was going to be completely impossible to crawl my way out of that hole inch by inch by inch or millimeter by millimeter. Feels yeah. like it felt like for, for probably more than a year or two, probably more like two, two and a half years, it felt like every day I may have moved or may not have moved, mm. but, but I was like, I could, I'm pretty sure I could move a millimeter forward this month or this week yeah. and then and then something would happen and you would feel like you would you know 10 centimeters backwards again yeah. and blaming everybody else and everything else and being super confused and man just feeling like i had basically like th th one month long anxiety attacks yeah. literally yeah like yeah. never-ending anxiety attacks and not even knowing that they were like, it's not until recently that I realized they were anxiety. It's not mm. until now really that I can fully step back from it and look at it and go, Oh, this is what relaxed feels like. Yeah. This is what a healthy relationships feel like. Yeah. This is what it's quiet in the house. And it's not because someone's about to explode. It's just because we're peaceful and we love each other and it's all yeah. good. You know, like yeah. it, like it took me so long to even step, step, step outside of the anxiety and the depression and the angst and the stress and the high wiredness to even um yeah to even look at it and name it you know because yeah. it was just so ingrained so yeah i've been there i, I was driving in brisbane and I, I remember the moment i didn't have many of those thoughts because i had lost already some friends from suicide so i saw what it did to their families and to me and I kind of made a bit of a pact with myself at a certain point that that's not gonna that's not gonna be me. But that'll never happen. Yeah. There was a period where I, I remember there was a day I was driving in Brisbane and I was like, I think I might just not turn at the next corner and just go straight mm. into the wall. You know, like fuck this shit. I was just in so much angst. Um, but and it feels like the only way out. Like yeah, I, yeah. man, I was in full physical pain too. So I had like. Yeah full headaches every day like my body was aching i was yeah it was a very i had a very physical visceral spiritual emotional reaction to um a breakup and mm. kind of like a family rift a family breakup in a sense same <laughs> yeah so <laughs> it was like the umbilical cord was getting sawn off and it yeah. hadn't it hadn't been done yet because you know in a family greek family i guess to be a bit stereotypical it takes longer 
then mm. and it's not because you just want to leave it has to be because you're getting married or because you're you know like it can't just be i want to move out so i had to really take a chainsaw to that thing and mm. and become my own man you know and mm. and really push it to do that and so everything came at once everything that had been held back or avoided was was broken at the same time and including my my brain to a certain extent extent but um yeah i have been there so i do know to a certain extent what people are going through but i think i don't know i also think like everyone goes through different shit you know some totally. people make the decision for really different reasons that i was thinking about it and and suicide might be one form of death you know mm. but i don't think it, people are led there for the same reason you Absolutely know i think it's not. super yeah. complex and yeah yeah absolutely and kind of like i said at the start like everything is true and not true at the same time you know which makes mm. it hard to ever have a concrete opinion especially like i think when you have a job like us which is to think um but yeah like you know for me i um yeah i when i was like 18 from about 18 till 21 maybe before i started making music or even realized i could sing seven i mean all through high school i was like cutting myself mm. um i when i was at uni i would get yeah like panic attacks before going to class um i was like smoking weed all the time um i was dating a guy and it was a really bad relationship it was really toxic and but like i thought i was so in love <laughs> yeah. and like i would so yeah we we broke up and we would break up all the time but one time we broke up and i I, I say attempted suicide, but I think that what I actually did was just like a cry for attention. But I mm. feel like I can't remember if I genuinely wanted to not be here anymore, like maybe on some level. But as soon as like, so I, this is like um, getting super, again, like I said, super deep, but I'm going to stop mm. apologizing now. Yeah, you uh, stop apologizing, <laughs> but also don't say shit you don't want the world to know. No, I'm fine. Like, I'm an open book, you know? Yeah, um, good. Yeah, so I, like, I went to the doctor. I got a bunch of a prescription for sleeping pills, which back then, like, I just said to the doctor, yeah, I'm having trouble sleeping. Like, it's really hard. And he just gave me a pack of 14 sleeping pills, you know? Wow. Yeah. Um, and, like, I went, I feel like I would have been in a pretty bad state. Like, I would have been crying that morning or something at least. Anyway, so I went and then I just, like, I swallowed them all. And as soon as I swallowed them, I called my, I called him and I was like, I just took a bunch of sleeping pills. So it was obviously like, I wanted a cry. It was like, I wanted a I want you to see how much I'm hurting, but yeah. you know, I imagine like, so this is just to say like, I am where I am now where I have like really good mental health. I would say um, like I meditate and I journal and I write gratitude every day. And like, I, I work hard, but I have a real big tendency like to, sometimes like and I've talked to my friends about this like sometimes the smallest thing will happen and like my first thought will be like oh I just want to die you mm. know which is like <laughs> <laughs> I realized that like that's not an okay thing to say yeah. to yourself you know 
<laughs> even as a joke you know like yeah i i and I, it took me like talking about that with one of my friends georgia so like last year when i got back from new york um so my sister had passed away and i got oh, back wow. from new york yeah that happened I'm last year ago. so sorry i didn't know that that's okay it's like i said you know it's it's life and um and things happen but so that happened and i got back and I was in a really bad place. I just moved in. I went from New York to living with my mom and dad. And I was in a really bad place. Like I was really depressed, like sleeping all day. And um, all I could do really was to listen to Harry Potter audiobooks. That's really <laughs> like no word of a lie. They saved me. I would go on like three hour long walks. I love that. I would go on three hour long walks through St. Clair, like just finding just like different streets, different paths, and like just listening to Stephen Fry read me Harry oh, Potter. Stephen's the man. But hang on, <laughs> let me just let me just reiterate now. Cause we just talked about being activist artists and making, you know, change for the world. Right. And talk and doing yeah. all these poems that are super like, you know, <laughs> fuck the police or whatever we want to do. But Stephen Fry and Harry Potter saved your life. So what's saved more, my life. You know what I mean? Like, yeah. what's more, like that's that's the power in there, and that you know what I mean? Like that's yeah. that's why you just got to make yeah. what's on your heart, man. Just like that woman that yeah. made that those books. What's her name? The author of those books? J K Rowling. J K Rowling. That's right. Yeah. She's in the she is in the um, deep work book. Because her yeah. last chapter of Harry Potter, she was getting no work done. She she couldn't get through it, and she she went to a super famous medieval style, ex very expensive hotel in Edinburgh, and hired it out for like three months. Like she mm -hmm. got like the the executive suite for three months to write the final book, and it's like in this kind of castle space that looks, like, uh, you know. So so another grand gesture that meant she had to pay up you know she yeah. had to put the work in yeah but yeah that's a let me i just wanted to yeah that's no, amazing that. that that is what got you through that's mad dude that's what got me like and i mean as well so i was talking to my friend and georgia got me to go to start seeing a psychologist and i saw the psychologist for maybe like four sessions or something like um over like every fortnight for four weeks and like i just and the harry potter book like it was all i could bring myself to do I would like wake up, start listening. I had it on while I was cooking. I had, I'd go for, I'd find myself going for super long walks just so I had an excuse to listen. I'd fall asleep listening to Harry Potter and like, yeah, it, it was really all I could bring myself to do. And just like slowly, little by little, it just like, I had a little bit more energy each day, you know? Yeah. Um, yeah. So I think that's like, yeah. I mean, that's a testament to the power of, like stories, even oh, if Stephen you're not. Fry's baritone <laughs> voice. And he does all the voices. Uh, like, he's a killer. He's it's so good. <laughs> Have you read Mythos? Mythos and Heroes? He's, he's got two books oh, he, he wrote about them. Greek mythology. Oh. That's right. No, I haven't. I haven't read them. Read Mythos, I would say. I, don't, I haven't heard the audiobooks, but Mythos, the, um, the footnotes, because I don't think he can read the, maybe he reads the footnotes as he Sometimes goes. Sometimes they do. Yeah, in mythos, like it's the stories, but then it's also the footnotes are just so 
Oh man, he's like an honorary Greek. Instantly, uh, <laughs> it's crazy. He's a I love him. Yeah, I love him. He knows his shit. Do you have a favorite book? A favorite book? Yeah, I do. My favorite book is The Dance of Reality mm. by okay. Alejandro Jodorowsky. He's a Chilean. His family's, I think, Russian Jewish, but he ended up living and being born in Chile. And he lived in a very rural part of the country. And from an early age, this imagination just like took him over. And he eventually became a film producer, uh, an author, uh, an actor, everything you can imagine. He lives in Paris now and he gives free tarot card readings every Wednesday in the same cafe to anybody that turns up as like his personal practice. Dude, uh, that's but he made so many cool. movies. He made a movie um, called The Sacred Mountain, I think. He's, he's got many different things. He's got illustrated novels. He's got um, lots of, he's like lived a full life. He's like almost 90 and he has produced, you know, hundreds of things. He's like yeah. incredibly prolific. Uh, but The Dance of Reality is his story from kind of a child to his first maybe 10 years of professional work. And he, created a form of healing called psychomagia um psychomagic which is like a way of healing things so just say just say your your he gives an example i think your mother her mother this woman's mother was a prostitute and she would always admire how her mother would dress up in all these beautiful clothes but she didn't know what she was dressing up for when she was a kid so she had this trauma where she would only wear like really, really like concealing clothes as she mm. became an adult. And so she wanted to heal this trauma around sex and around her mother and her mother's memory and whatever. So he like prescribes her a, a psychomagic act. So the act was to wear all of her mother's clothing for like a day, each outfit for a month. And then once you've worn and dressed up like your mother for, for that long and felt her kind of connection with her clothing, bury all the clothes in your backyard um, with a letter to your mother. And then on top of that um, pile of clothing in the dirt, plant an apple tree. And then once that apple tree and water it once a week or something, or once every day, every afternoon thinking of your mother. And then when that, apple tree bears fruit um, make yourself an apple pie and when that's done you'll be healed of your story about sexuality and your mother you'll have your own story <laughs> <laughs> but he's like he's like epically like it's oh it's super God. like he's a madman but it's it's killer he's okay, just, I have oh, it's a killer, killer book you have to read it the, the dance of i love that yeah yeah I, definitely I think will. it's like 12 chapters and every chapter was so hard hitting and confronting and beautiful for me that I had to put it down for like a month. So I would wow, read a chapter okay. and I would like let it soak in for a month. I'd reread it, go through yeah. it. And then I'd pick it up and read another chapter. And it took me like a year to read the book. Wow. And okay. Yeah. My wife gave it to me and she, she, when she read it, she started it immediately. Reality. She finished the last page and she started the first page again immediately after okay. and read it twice. Dance of reality. Yeah. See, I, I feel like we could keep talking for like hours and hours because like, <laughs> um, yeah, like that thing about ritual, like that ritual, you know, it just makes me 
it makes me think like there just has to be something in the ether that we are all tapped into because okay like and so this is like witchcraft slash ritual slash maybe psycho magic who the hell knows what i did but i um so one of my uh like kind of mentor kind of friend slash i kind of work for her now um I edit videos for her, but her name's Leah and she's like helped me a lot with like um, mindset around money, right? Which as an artist is something that I'm really committed to healing because Mm. I think that's a conversation we don't have a lot as artists. And Mm. we kind of bond through this idea that we're all struggling. We're like, you know, which I hate. I absolutely hate. Yeah. So I'm like, that's why I'm really, yeah, I hate it. That's why I'm really committed to like, no, like thriving and being abundant. Right. So Leah has this thing called a honey money jar spell, which she gets, she got it from somewhere else, but it's like you, you get a jar of honey. Um, you put like, you know, I put in inside it. So when I was on my way to LA, I sat down for the first time. I, I it was before I'd made creatress and I sat down to this old man next to this old man. He was really lovely. We had a conversation about marketing and blah, blah, blah. And he gave me 20 bucks as a pre-order for creatress. And he was talking about how that's how one way you can make money, right? So it's the first time anyone ever gave me money for music. Mm. It was the first $20 I'd ever made. Mm. Dude, there were times where I was so broke and I'd oh, spent every cent. I but think I we should do another, another podcast episode about that. I've got, got some mad stories about yeah. um, eating things I didn't want to eat or not <laughs> eating. Or yeah, man, there's been some yeah. very, very tight moments. We could do it. We could do a money one. But, oh man, we should. Um, so I, I'll just finish this. So like, I still have that 20 bucks. So inside the honey jar, I put the $20. I put like a bunch of crystals, like pyrite. I wrote on like the first page of like this money book, like an intention of like, you know, I'll under, I, I will understand money. I'll be able to manage, manage it really well. Like just a bunch of intentions, put it inside the jar put a bunch of things like good energy sort of things in there. You seal the jar with candle wax and that's like a honey money jar spell. Right. Mm -hmm. And I think then maybe you like plant it. So uh, like you dig it and put it in the ground, but I went a step further, which is what makes me think about this. And got it tattooed. (laughs) No, I planted it in the backyard and planted an olive tree on top of it. Oh shit. Yeah. And his name is Oliver. That's that, that's that Mediterranean <laughs> vibe. Yeah. I was after. You know, and yeah. like now, and he's growing so much and like I'm watering him every day and then I'm going to be able to make olives. And I kid you not, since I've planted that tree. <laughs> I love you so much. <laughs> <laughs> I kid you not though. I'm coming like, for olives. I'm coming. <laughs> Come. I'm coming for, I'm coming for it's gro- I like picked it's- olives in Greece last year and we made olive oil and... We, oh my god i'm it. so excited to do that we can, drink, we can that. drink the olive oil <laughs> i'm so excited to do that welcome anytime Yeesh. mad but yeah that just that just to me is like there must be some kind of magic in the air where like the ideas yeah like it's magical that this I, guy I can write this book and yeah, yeah i don't think it's oh yeah for sure i mean i think it's quite natural i think it's actually basically you just going instead of all these logical ways that the world tells us to deal with things and instead of me having a little conversation in my head and trying to solve my head with my head i need to do a physical act that means something that basically is like everything is a poem everything is a metaphor there is nothing that is not a metaphor so 
every single object in our lives has some kind of, you know, you can, you can apply to it some kind of meaning. So if you get a plate that was made by your ex who was an asshole to you, and then you smash that plate, it makes you feel something, right? Yep. Yeah. If you look after that plate and you keep it for 20 years, then the memory of that person's in your house for 20 years. Like it's quite yeah. simple, but yeah. he just takes it to the way, 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 way next level and just yeah. goes, everything is possible. Here are the symbols. Do something with those symbols that changes your narrative. I love it. Change yeah. the narrative. And that's back to like, yeah, I feel like that's a, yeah. It's back to what? Full circle. It's, Let's go. It's I think full it's circle. It's back to it's... that. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> We should do like a Guinness world record of like the world's longest podcast. Um, <laughs> I think there's but... probably someone that's going to be this on that. <laughs> um, but yeah, I was just going to say it's back to that full. So like back to that idea of like, yeah, your life is like you do something with your narrative, you know, mm. you have the power to do that. Yeah. 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 Totally. Been a pleasure, my friend. Yes, Luca. That was super fun. Good luck with the recordings. Thank you. Let us know when the, do you know anything about this new EP that you're working on <laughs> Oh no. Nah. in terms of release? You're just keeping it chill and making the art. Yeah. Just keeping it chill. I mean, I just dropped an EP, so I'm just going to like relish yeah. in that for now and just like slowly, you know, and what's the name of the EP you dropped? The new era, the new era. And it's everywhere. People can hear it. It is wherever you listen to music and also hopefully in your heart. Oh, <laughs> the new era is just living in there already. It's You're just, just turning your it on. <laughs> nice. Yeah, amazing. Much love, homie. Much love, Luca. Thank you. Yeah, pleasure. Bye. Peace. Church. One. Listen, I'd rather be a pagan and stick to my common sense than call myself a Christian and be part of a common threat. If the patriarchal system that wants women in the kitchen developed a global system that tells them to sit and listen, then are those doves perched on the spires or are they just pigeons? Is that love that's got us inspired or are we imprisoned? Tell me, how much does it cost to rest all your blessings on the shoulders of your sins? That's what I'd ask the soldiers before their massacre begins. Church 2 I have a question. What's more important for you as a Christian? For your child to be baptised or to save another's child from a boat that's been capsized? Church 3 Speak up. If Australia is largely Christian, then I guess being locked in detention has become a traditional Aussie christening. Seems like nobody is listening to their own lesson and they hear Turn the other neighbour, love thy cheek Karma is immediate, you don't have to wait for it to come If you incite hatred with your speech, karma's already living in your lungs Trust me, 
They say, do unto others as you would have them do unto you. So I guess it's cool if we spread lies in the news and swear that it's the truth, or separate you from your children, lock them in a booth, charge them with terrorism just because they look like you. Or how about if we made a Christmas cake and laced it deep with arsenic and gave it to your family, buried their bodies like we were gardening, and since there'd be no witnesses except the killers, then we'd pardon them and keep celebrating Christmas like we weren't the ones that martyred them. Damn, that's the history of this continent. Eesh, that's a missionary's consequence. Oof, that's the Bible and its operatives. Shh. That's the silence of cooperatives. Preach.